crawling round her feet. Puzzled, perhaps she only thought she'd put me in the playpen, she carried me back to the living room and then went back to her work. When I came crawling back into the kitchen again a few minutes later, she knew something was going on. She put me back in the playpen once more and then spied on me through the crack in the door. As soon as she was out of sight, I lifted up one side of the playpen, balanced it on the toy box while I crawled underneath, and then put it back in position, leaving everything apparently undisturbed and no visible clue as to how the crime had been committed. When I was left outside the house in my pram, even with the brake fully on, I bounced up and down so much that it would slowly but steadily move down the hill. I managed to cover some fairly impressive distances that way, but luckily everyone on the estate knew who I was and would intercept me and wheel me back to the house. In February 1957, my mother gave birth to my sister Dale. By then, I was fifteen months old and walking, greatly increasing the range and scope of my activities and the anxiety levels of my long-suffering mum and dad. The garden at the back of the house was surrounded by a wooden fence that my dad had put up in an unsuccessful attempt to curb my wanderlust. If I could not walk round or crawl under something, I would just climb over it instead. Many times my mum or dad looked out into the garden where they had left me playing happily a few minutes before, only to discover that it was now deserted. The only sign of my escape route was often the dungarees that I had snagged climbing over the fence and then abandoned. On one occasion, still less than eighteen months old, I even got as far as the driver's seat of an army truck. The cab was so high off the ground that nobody could work out how I got there, and the fact that, having got bored with the steering wheel, I was playing with the handbrake when I was found, added a few more to my parents' rapidly increasing store of grey hairs. My taste for adventure sometimes put me in harm's way, and in Londonderry I made the first of several trips to hospital after falling off a wall and cracking my head. I was kept in hospital for four days for observation, and though I was eventually given the all-clear, the doctors there were sufficiently concerned to suggest that I should wear protective headgear for a while. Dad made me a foam-rubber helmet to protect my head, though a full bodysuit might have been a better idea. It would certainly have saved him from at least some of the subsequent trips to the casualty department to treat my latest cuts, abrasions and broken bones. Then, as now, I chafed at any restrictions that others tried to impose on me, and my hyper-competitive instincts also came to the surface. After eighteen months in Northern Ireland, my dad's tour of duty there ended and we went back to Cheshire, where, during a toddler's race at the naval base's sports day, I eliminated most of the opposition by the simple expedient of barging into them and knocking them flat. The race was mine for the taking, but instead of hightailing it for the tape, I stopped to see what the others were up to. As a result, virtue had its just reward, and having got back to their feet, they all went roaring past me, leaving me well down the field when I finally reached the tape. Those who have batted with me over the years will confirm that running twenty yards or so never became my strong point. In 1958, after just one year in Cheshire, we moved again to Yeovil in Somerset when my dad reached the end of his term of service with the fleet air arm. He was offered promotion if he signed on for a further term, but he opted instead for civilian life and a job with Westland helicopters in Yeovil. The job gave him financial security, but it also meant that he was home a lot more often, 
and I think that was at least as important a factor in his decision. He had been away a lot when I was very young. From then on, he was always available if I wanted to play cricket or football. He'd bowl to me endlessly, or go in goal while I practiced my penalty-taking technique, and he'd referee seven or eight aside games that he'd organize, rounding up all the kids and heading down to the local playing fields, the Mudford Wreck. Everywhere my dad went, I went as well. He even made me a special cut-down golf club so that we could play golf on the local course together. Whether because he didn't feel qualified to do so or because he didn't feel it was necessary, he never really coached me in any sport I played, but gave me the most important thing, his time. My mum and dad never went overboard with praise and always played it down when I'd played well, letting me know that, well as I'd done, there was always room for further improvement.